Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Square author and property investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And I'm delighted today to be joined by Tasha Darrington and Karen Watley. Hi, ladies. How are you doing? Hello. Very well. Hello, everybody. Well, it's great to have you here because what you do in property is something which I've done myself. We don't think we've ever chatted about that, but I've done the odd flip myself. But you've made a whole business out of flipping properties. I know that a lot of the listeners are going to be really, really interested in that. But before we start, just tell us a little bit about yourselves. So Tasha and I met about 13 years ago. We met at a hockey club and decided um, while we were working alongside our full-time businesses to start getting involved in property. So we had a conversation, we went out and bought a house, did it up and then decided to sell it. And 13 years later, we're now doing this full-time. So that's probably the best joint venture that I've ever done, certainly, because I'm now married to my best friend, business partner. We run a successful business together and have done for a little while now. Fantastic. And how, how is it actually being married to your business partner? Does that work okay? Do you know what people say? It must be really awkward being married and running a business together, but it just works for us. Sometimes when you find something that's got different skill sets to you, but you enjoy the same things in life, it can really be quite powerful, both in a marriage and also in business. So I find that works really well. Tasha might have a different opinion. Mm. We, yeah, we're, we're very different and we have very different skill sets, as Karen says. Um, but that works brilliantly in property because you've got so many different aspects to, you know, from buying, doing up and selling a property. There's a whole range of different aspects in there. And it's great that we've got the things that we like to do and the things that we don't like to do. But luckily, mainly, we cover all of those bases. And the few bases that we don't cover, we pull other people in for. Yeah, well, it's a great thing to be able to do that, isn't it? To, to work with your significant other. My missus, Mrs. the long-suffering Mrs. Jones, she, she's come into the business and she does all the stuff which I hate. Because I found out she actually likes doing the stuff I hate, which is really, yeah, really cool. Yeah, it's important to work out yeah. what you do and don't like doing as well. Because in the beginning, you're trying to do everything, which you probably need to do right at the beginning. But actually... The point of, of doing this as a business is to enjoy it. So if you can work out the bits you enjoy doing, then you'll do those bits better anyway. So if you can get rid of the bits you don't like, then your business is going to grow naturally. Yeah, absolutely. And leveraging and outsourcing is something we talk about a lot in the community, isn't it? Mm. But I never realised until I came here that my ultimate source of leverage and outsource was actually at home with me, which yes. was quite strange because when I first asked her whether she'd do the bits I didn't like, I thought it was going to get a slap around the face. <laughs> but it turned out she's actually quite cool with it. Brilliant. And it's been great ever since. So it's lovely to hear that you've got a similar sort of experience there. And it just shows we can do this. Definitely. Yeah, brilliant. So you've been doing it for about 13 years. Did you have a property background? No, we didn't. Um, so when we, we got together, we just decided that we're both working full time. Um, I was an IT consultant. Karen was a project manager. And we decided we wanted something a bit different because it's taken up a lot of our time working for other people. And we thought if we could maybe get a property and do it up and sell it maybe we get a bit of extra cash maybe to go slightly less with um, part-time or four days a week three days a week but we hadn't really done anything before that so it was kind of jump in at the deep end from from day one but we had a passion for it I don't really know where that came from um, but we had a passion for property well you'd bought your own home and I'd done the same we'd done a little bit of you know a bit of DIY but nothing in a in a terms of business sense there was no there was no end goal with that it was just doing it to your own taste which is something that we try not to do now with our property business because mm. it needs to be more commercially minded. But but yeah, I had a little bit of experience, but certainly nothing formal. Certainly had no no education around it, no community around us like we have now, which is mm. lovely to have. Mm. But I've heard your story a few times, and I know that the, you had this sort of inspirational night where you went off to the pub, didn't you? Yeah, you that's right. Yeah, because when you work in long hours and you're you're away all week, you know, you get back on a Friday night, you think, oh, maybe maybe on a summer's evening, sit outside have a glass of wine or a pint. And we just said, what can we do differently? Um, so we thought, let's let's have a go at property. You know, I, don't know, I don't really know where it came from. We just said, let's have a go. Let's buy something. Let's do it up and let's sell it. And let's see, let's see where that takes us. Because, mm. of course, your background at the time was IT. Yeah, I was an IT mm. consultant. Yeah, so I was travelling around installing computer systems. Um, you say long hours. It was, it was good money. Um, but at the time... You were away quite a lot. I was away a lot, but yes. There's the unpredictability of not knowing where, which site Tasha mm. needs to be. Like, she might go up to Scotland on a Monday, but she wouldn't know until Sunday evening where they were going to post her to. Mm. And after a time, that becomes a bit a bit draining, a bit mm. tiring. So I think people always get to a certain point where they think, 
let's have a little bit of a change. And sometimes it's enforced and sometimes you don't see it coming. Mm. And sometimes it's for good reasons. And ours was, it was a good thing. It was one, we wanted to move towards something rather than move away mm. away from something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was your background at the time, Karen? So I was a project manager. So I used to work in a local authority. Uh, so I left university, went straight into a job there, did a variety of roles within there. And it was rewarding. It was nice people to work with. Um, I felt that I could go a bit quicker in project management with other things. Um, it's quite a, a slow beast. Anyone that works in local government knows that it takes a little while to make decisions, and quite rightly so sometimes. Um, I kind of felt like I didn't fit anymore. There was something else out there for me. And also, of course, I was only 29 when I made that decision. So mm. yeah, I thought, I don't really want to be doing this for the rest of my life. What, what, can, what change can I make? Mm. And being quite a practical person, certainly had no formal qualifications in property, but you know, quite good at DIY, I thought maybe that... That might be a good route to go down. Yes. So you're at the pub. <laughs> yeah. We've got this picture. It's a lovely summer's evening. Yeah. And you're outside with your pint of cider or whatever. Yeah. And you have this idea. And what was it you decided to do? What is your strategy? We decided to, to buy a property, to do it up and sell it, I think was the first thing. We said, if we can't sell it, because we're so uncertain at that time. People around us weren't do it. We didn't know how to do it. But we knew that we would work it out because we're quite action takers. And I think any, as long as you take action, it's really important. So we thought, well, this buy, let's do it up. And if we have to rent it out, we have to rent it out. But if we sell it, that might give us a chunk of money that will make a difference. And chunky money does make a difference. It wasn't even about the money back then, was it? We said, which is a crazy thing and certainly not something we implement in our business now. But we said, if we break even, we will have learned. Mm. Now, of course, that's not a good business model going forward because mm. that doesn't de-risk everything. Yeah. But we were quite fortunate in the first one that we did get our hands dirty and got in there and got trades where we needed them to do the things mm. that needed qualifications. Uh, but yeah, it was quite a successful project. We learned a lot about each other during that process because it was quite early in our relationship. So if you can manage a site and be dating somebody and find that it works, then you learn to communicate really well. Mm. But that was a good way of looking at it though, wasn't it? Sort of take the pressure off yourselves because mm. I think one of the things which I noticed being particularly on Masterclass as one of the trainers is that so many people come with such high expectations and such a fear of failure that that can really stop you doing anything. So if you've got a fairly laid back attitude and well, if it works or if it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Life's going to carry on. Yeah. Then you're probably going to free yourself up to be more successful. Yeah, anyway. definitely. Less pressure, isn't it? Less pressure on yourself. And um, we did carry on working at that time, and we, you know, we did it alongside our jobs because we we hadn't done that before. Hmm. So it was it was hard work at the time, but it was worth it because the amount we learned and the, how we progressed from there was brilliant. Yeah. So why did you decide to get into flipping rather than, you know, building a portfolio at that stage? I don't think there was a big master plan. I think mm. it just seemed like the natural thing to do once we'd done up the property. Yeah. All depends on how many ciders you had at the pub. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to paint a picture of being a big drinker because we're certainly not. <laughs> um, but in those early days, it was because we, we use our own money. So we both put in the same amount of money to, to the first project, um, £6,000 each. And we said, we'll do that. We'll get the money back out and then we'll do another one. You know, mm. And then we'll do that again because we thought, well, that's safe, isn't it? And we can keep working and then maybe build something up. In hindsight, you know, we did that for way too long. We could have grown quicker, but we didn't have anyone around us. So we didn't have the training that there wasn't any training in those days. Mm. So we did that and it felt safe. So, you know, we never thought, oh, what's going to happen if we don't sell it? Because at that point we were still working. Now, I wouldn't advise anyone to do that long term, but maybe if, depending on your mindset of your work, some people can just leave work and have a go but as you said about feeling safe in your decisions because we had the the income learning was the important thing for us mm. so we did it over those stages mm. well it's obviously worked and you obviously learned a great deal because 13 years on you're doing some very impressive projects which we'll perhaps touch on a little bit later but flipping is such a fantastic strategy isn't it and yet it's one of those strategies which i think people kind of go oh yeah and it's sort of almost sort of like glazy eyes they move past it yeah the great thing is you can do it alongside other strategies if you want to. Now, it's great, to, it's best to focus when you start, but because flipping can give you the chunky money, that can buy you the assets, which we've done. So we've mm. bought single lets, we've bought HMOs, holiday lets, through flipping and through the, the money that gives us, as well as having holidays and enjoying ourselves as well, which is really important to reward yourself when you uh, get a flip done. Yeah, and you've got a particular model, haven't you, which we'll talk about in a moment. But one of the things which I've heard you saying on stage, and I totally agree because I realised this myself some time back, is that a lot of people are looking to get financial freedom in property and they naturally sort of gravitate towards building a portfolio, which is fine. But if you're going to go and buy some buy-to-lets, which give you 250 quid a month net cash flow, 
it's going to take a lot of those before you can leave your job, which is what a lot of people want to do. So yeah. the keys to getting out of your job to sacking a boss often is doing a, a couple of flips. Yeah, absolutely. And people don't always look at what they take home. So they're on a wage, whatever that wage may be. But after tax and after you've paid your pension, and that you take an amount home. Now, if you could get a flip and get a year's worth of that amount or even six months of that amount and put it aside, if that's your safety net, then you could do one flip, leave work with a safety of six months or a year's money and then continue to build your business. If they want to leave work. If they want to leave work. Absolutely. And I agree, not everybody wants to leave work. Mm. A lot of people do, though. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it's it's a great supplementary strategy Mm. once you're alongside a job. But yeah, certainly if you can replace your income through flipping, one of the things that was important for us was to find freedom and to spend the rest of our lives doing things that we enjoy. Mm. Because if life can't be fun, you need to do more fun things to make it more fun. That's not to say that you don't have peaks and troughs and good and bad days, because sometimes a builder might not turn up on site. But at least you're in control of your own destiny and you can speak to that person face to face. Whereas if you're still in a job and you're reliant on just speaking to somebody on the phone in the limited amount of time that you have, that, that's more tricky. So certainly we have more freedom from it by being in control of our own destiny, which sounds a bit woo-woo, but it's important for us and people need to find out what's imp- important to them and focus on that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the great thing about flipping, as you say, it can run alongside other strategies. So anybody who's thinking about their 70, 20, 10, I would say it's always worth thinking, where can you slot the flipping in? Even if it's not yeah. 70, making it 20 or 10 could be life changing if you do the right deals. Yeah, absolutely. And so you can fund the deposits for single lets for HMOs and run alongside any of those strategies. So it works really, really well. well. It means you view more volume of properties as well, because if you go and see something and you, you think you can flip it, but you do the numbers and it doesn't quite work, it may be something that you add to your rental portfolio. But by seeing more volume of properties, you're actually seeing agents more often. You're building more touch points in with them, and then you're building rapport quicker. So they think of you faster than they might see if they see somebody like every 12 months, yeah. maybe, for a property. That's not really enough to build rapport. So it can certainly build your business. The more people you know and the friendlier you are, that's not to say that you give backhanders to people. There's no brown envelopes in our business. But it does make you more memorable if you, if you view vol- volume. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really important point, isn't it, Karen, there, that you've made. In fact, several really important points about having the relationship with the agents, absolutely crucial. But also, when you're actually talking to them and looking for the property, if something doesn't work as a flip, you might buy to let it. Mm-hmm. But conversely, many of us are thinking of buy to lets. And if it doesn't work as a buy-to-let, it may actually work as a flip. Mm-hmm. And so when you're going into the agents, you've actually got double the chance of coming out with a deal you do, if yeah. you're going in with both strategies mm-hmm. rather than focusing on one or the other. Yeah. It's about being flexible, isn't it? And anything in life, communication is, is flexibility. And property is flexibility. It's going in there with, with a few things in mind, uh, which isn't to say that you don't focus. You absolutely do focus on exactly what you want from each strategy, but it gives you more, more opportunity the broader you are in terms of your criteria. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things which I've seen you talking about is the flip line, mm. which is an interesting idea. Talk, <laughs> is it okay to talk about that? Yeah, talk us, yeah, 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 the yeah. flip line. So talk us through the flip line, because I'm sure visual, the listeners would love that. Yeah, it's mm. a visual representation, because sometimes people see where certain people are at, or mentors are at, or people that maybe have more assets than them already, but they can't picture how to get there. Mm. Well, they don't see the process, perhaps. So if Tasha talks through... Mm. Yeah, so so the example that we use, um, and the, the numbers can change depending on where you are in the country, but let's say you've got £100,000 or somebody has got £100,000 in the bank and they're making nothing on it and they're not into property. You could potentially use your £100,000 where you've got it or borrow it um, and you could take that and you could pay them a much bigger percentage on a flip. So then you'd buy a property, do it up and sell it, and you'd make, say, £20,000 on that property net after all costs. You could use that £20,000 for a deposit on a single buy-to-let, but that £100,000 comes back to you again. So you can do that again, do another flip, make another £20,000, buy another asset. And if you've got like double that £100,000, so you've got two lots of investors or two lots yourself, you can do that alongside. So you can very quickly get a portfolio yourself mm. that's going to pay you forever, forever. So a couple of single lets and a small HMO may be cash flowing you net twelve grand a year. Mm. You know, and it doesn't take long to get that by using other people's money and using that chunky money for your deposits. So when you say the money comes back to you again, why would the money come back to you again? So you use your hundred thousand pounds, for example, on a flip, and when you sell that, you sell it. Say you sell it for one two five, um, or one fifty, including your um, profit, 
then that £100,000 all comes back to you mm. and all everything you spent on it because you sell it for that bigger amount. Mm. Now, even if you're giving the investor the £100,000 back, they're not going to want to go back to that bank if they're not into property. They're going to want to come to you for that greater return that they can get. Yeah, they're going to say, do it again. Do it again, yeah, and get a much better return. And they're obviously busy people, uh, you know, and they want people to help them make money on their money. So how would you suggest sort of financing that in the first instance? Would they have a, a simple rate of interest or would you cut them in on the profit or what? what yeah, the, the simplest way is, is a simple rate of interest. Hmm. Um, everyone understands loans and everyone understands that if they, they take a loan out, they pay a percentage back. So if you borrow an amount and you agree an amount, now it's up to them what you know what you pay them and what they what they want back from that. But yeah, simple return. Set the term, so be realistic with your term on a flip, or do monthly. So you know you don't know exactly how long it's going to take you to to flip a property. It could be six months. You know, hopefully it won't be twelve, but it might be. So just be realistic and say we'll pay you so much a month interest mm. at the end when the sale goes through. That way you don't have to have any money up front. Use their money and they get it all back at sale point. Yeah, I mean that's really the ultimate. If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. Sort of no money down strategy, isn't mm, it? It is. So yeah. actually, get investors' money, do some flips, and use the profit to build your portfolio. portfolio yeah. And everybody's a winner. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Brilliant. Okay. Well, I'm sure that's given everybody lots to think about. There. There's just so much choice, isn't there? Do you do that, or do you just, I don't know, take the money and keep scaling up on the fl flips, or it's so yeah, much choice. You could become so your own choice. bank because you're getting the chunky money in the end. If you, you know, you're using that money, you could take the money become your own bank and, and have less on the lending but why wouldn't you do multiples and and grow quicker why wait a year to do your second one when you maybe could do it now yeah absolutely but you're right yeah. with the choice it does give people choice when we teach people we ask them what's the reason why why flipping and some people it is to build a portfolio but some of them want to use some of their profit to maybe pay for school kids fees mm. or they might want to you know put some aside or they might want to trade different things to give them choice or they might want to leave a legacy which they can do through a portfolio. There's, there's so many different things, but it's the chunky money that gives you the choice. Mm. That's not to say that buy-to-lets aren't a good idea. They absolutely are a good idea. Mm. But by getting tens of thousands of pounds at a time, you can take a certain percentage of that to reward yourself mm. or to pay for things that are important in your life. Mm. We just choose to invest it into assets because we see that as a, a good a good way of growing our business as well. Mm. So when you started... Which was what thirteen years ago? Is what two thousand and five-ish? Yeah, yeah, five yeah. six. Yeah. Yeah, and you bought your first property. Tell us about your first one. Wow, it was a, a grey mid terrace property, um, and we invest in and around Peterborough, Shh. North Cambridge, <laughs> North Cambridgeshire. Sorry, yeah. Funnily, when we when we joined Progressive, uh, we used to say to Rob, "Well, Rob's in the next room, next so room. we better be careful what we say now." We yeah. used to say North Cambridgeshire. We used to say North Cambridgeshire, and um, it took a little while to realise that was Peterborough. So, uh, yeah, that was interesting. But, yeah, so we invest in... I, actually, just stopping you there, because this is an interesting point, uh, particularly at um, Masterclass, often get people coming up during the breaks and over lunch and stuff and saying, I'm thinking of a particular area, but isn't it saturated? Isn't everybody else doing it? Mm. But, um, I mean, obviously you've been competing. I'm doing some air quotes now, because obviously nobody can see me apart from you. You've been competing with Progressive up here. Is it really competition? Do areas get saturated? Is Does it make it harder to find the deals or is there plenty for everybody? I think there's plenty for everyone. I mean, all the viewings that we've done, I don't think we've ever been on one with maybe one with where Progressive turned up. Hmm. Now, they were, they're buying a lot of singlets and we're doing flips, but they do flips as well. I think there's enough to go around. And We've got six live projects at the moment. Hmm. Um, we are always looking for more, but there's more out there than 
then we want to buy it once because you know we've got a certain team of people and we've got certain um things to to meet and we can't buy them all so yeah. i think there's plenty out there for everybody but it's one of those irrational fears which many new investors have isn't it that they've kind of missed the boat or they'll yeah. never be able to get the best deals because somebody else will get there first yeah but it doesn't really work that way in practice i think it always it? feels when you talk to people who are in property what it's not even if they're in property everybody's interested in property if you talk to friends or family and tell you tell them what you do they'll say oh i've always wanted to do that mm. so everybody's got an opinion about it mm. but the best time to start is always now mm. yeah and there's there is enough deals for everybody I, I don't think everybody is always buying all of the time mm. so we have six live projects and we obviously have a pipeline of other projects that we'll do in future but we can't buy everything in the world and nor can progressive and there will always be other deals out there for, for people. Mm. So I think as long as you stay in the game, it's when people decide that they can't do it. But that's a real shame because there are the properties out there, even for newbies who perhaps don't have the connections that they're going to make in the future. The best time to start is always now. Mm. And you will build the credibility and you'll build the, the experience that we have. Yeah. If you'd asked us 13 years ago, do you want to wait for 10 years and then start? Well, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't mm. it? Yeah. But, yeah, but sometimes fear can prevent people from doing things. You just need to take that first step. Yeah, and totally. that's often just walking into an estate agent and saying, "Hello, I'm looking for houses." Exactly. Yeah, because everything leads to something. It does. It yeah. does indeed. So you're competing, or you're looking. You found your first property in yes. North, Pe- North did, Cambridgeshire, yes. Peterborough, a little grey terrace house. Yes. Yeah, just went on right move after the Friday beer. Um, yeah, and it was just a normal three bed terrace in Peterborough that needed a bit of work. So I was a bit tired. Someone had lived there for a long time. Needed every new kitchen, new bathroom, decorate. Um, throughout but you know just we didn't really have the the knowledge then but we knew it was a solid house it was a terrace so there's one each side so it weren't falling down um and we yeah yeah bought that went in there did quite a lot of the work ourselves in the first one to be honest and and what was it on the market for it was on the market on white move for 105 and what did you pay for it we paid a hundred thousand pounds for it because we didn't know any different then we didn't know that we could offer less or get or we needed to get it for less yeah, we just bought it and had a go. Um, and it worked out. It worked out well. well. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, obviously, I've heard you talking about that property before and I and have a bit of a laugh about the fact that you did this amazing deal yeah. at five grand off the asking <laughs> price. But the reality is, actually, it was a good deal because it did work. It did the work, The figures yeah. stacked. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's another thing, though. But, you know, perhaps some of our listeners listening might think you've got to find the perfect deal. Actually, sometimes the deal just has to be good enough. It doesn't have to be perfect. And, exactly. And yeah. I, I think that's really encouraging. You don't always have to get a discount. If you can remodel a, an existing property, as long as it's got the uplift, you know, you can change it, it's tired enough, and you can change the internal layout, you can make some money on, on some that you have to pay. We have paid market value for some. Hmm. Well, again, that might surprise some people because we are always talking about BMV and all this kind of stuff. But actually, it's nice to buy stuff at a bargain price, but sometimes it's whether the figures stack. Exactly. And that's going to determine how much you pay. Yeah. So the important yeah. figure is your profit. Mm. So what do you want to make from it? What realistically can you sell it for? You know, don't over-egg what you can sell it for. There's a realistic value for that property in that area at the standard you're going to do. Mm. And then work out what you need to pay on it to, to refurb it. And then you'll find out what you can pay for it. Now, whether it's on the market for more or less than that, sometimes some properties are actually on the market for the right money. Mm. for what they're mm. the currently state they're in. Mm. People are trying to get a discount all the time, but actually some of them work on the money they're on for. Yeah, absolutely. Which is quite surprising. Yeah. No, um, I did a flip a couple of years back over in Nottingham where the, the property was on the market, I think, at 83 and a half, and I paid 82 for it. Yeah. So again, fantastic negotiating. <laughs> now, why is this guy doing a podcast? You know, we ought to hear somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah. But it was the same because it had been discounted by the agent because it needed so much work doing to it. Yeah. And I knew if I spent 20, I'd get... Over 120 for it. Perfect. And so it was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, we don't want to be sort of baffling everybody with science, but don't always necessarily look at the, the asking price. Just work back from what you think the right figure's going to be. Yeah. Do your sums yeah, from that. Yeah, work out your numbers, and then you know how much you can pay for it. Now, how yeah. much it's on for is irrelevant at that time. Yeah. So the first one you're doing, you've got this little grey house. Yeah. What did you actually do to it to make to well, add the value? Yeah, well, painted the front of it. That obviously helped a lot visually. Well, curb appeal, <laughs> it's very important, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sometimes a small change can make a big impact. Absolutely. Yeah, we did do more than that, not just mm. paint the front. Yeah. So yeah, some new windows and doors, new kitchen, new bathroom, remodelled it internally a little bit, but nothing nothing majorly structural. 
So what, what do you mean by remodelling, Karen? So uh, in the past, uh, building regs used to be that you'd need two doors between a bathroom and a kitchen. Actually, that changes over time. And in Wales, the regulations are still that you do need two doors between a kitchen and a loo. Um, but by taking out, as you walk through a galley kitchen with a bathroom at the other end of it, sometimes you'll have a gap that's probably about 70 centimetres deep where people normally put their washing machine and something else stacked on top of it by the back door. And by taking out some of those walls, which are not, sometimes they're just stub walls, they're not structural, um, but if you're not sure what the difference is between that, you should get someone qualified to check it for you. And you then gain quite a lot more space. Now, 70 centimetres doesn't sound like much, but it is on both sides of a galley kitchen or making a bathroom big enough to get a bath and maybe a shower as well in it. We tend to put showers over baths and have an ensuite off a master bedroom where we can get it in with just a shower. But yeah, 70 centimetres is quite a big gap and makes quite mm. a big difference. But in terms of remodelling, it's hardly like sort of building mm. extension or doing it's a loft conversion. Mm. Or, and yet a little thing like that can make a massive mm. difference to the... Well, it's about perception, isn't it? I was mm. going to say the perceived value. It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, you sell the house for whatever somebody wants to pay for it. And if somebody's prepared and willing and has the finance to buy it from you, then it's a good change to have made. We always assess how much value something's going to add to a house before you do it. Mm. Because if you're not comparing apples with apples in a street, mm. then you might add on an extension, but you won't get the return on investment, so you mm. don't get your money back. Mm. So that's part of that. In, which is an interesting point, really. Who are you selling these properties to? Are you selling them to other investors or owner-occupiers, first-time buyers? What's, what's your market? We're not. It's mainly... So the people that buy our houses tend to be people that are moving for the second time. Mm -hmm. So they're not first-time buyers. That's But the first one we did, it was a first-time buyer that bought it because mm. uh, that was the right market for that. Mm. But it tends to be people that are... We tend to buy in villages and smaller towns where there's more space. So people know that they may have a small family that they want to move into a into bigger bedrooms with a garden and off-road parking. That tends to be our, our market. Although we did nearly sell one a while back to an investor who wanted to buy it because he wanted to let it out to tenants. It wasn't him in the end that bought it, but mm. you know, we do have interest from them. But it's mainly people who have jobs, who get a high street mortgage, who move their family in. Yeah, because I guess that some of the listeners might be listening thinking, well, it could be interesting to buy properties and flip them on to other investors, mm -hmm. which is okay, but that's not the model you follow, is it, really? No, it would be a different type of property, I imagine. Yeah, it's about that. you. You really need to know who you're going to sell it to. You know mm. what type of family unit or individual you're going to sell it to. Then you can make the house for them. So if you sell into a, if it's a bungalow, for example, you may be selling to a, an older person to so make it more accessible um, for them to get into it. And if you sell into a family, maybe make areas for kids and you know just just think about who's going to buy it because when they come to view it, it's an emotional decision for that mm. buyer. So we we want to create something stunning for them to, to move straight into. Mm. And, the, and the disadvantage of trying to sell on to a, another investor, though, they're going to want their 25% They want the discount, won't they? They, they want a discount. we don't want to give. Yeah. Yeah, so owner-occupiers are better, aren't they? Definitely. But yeah. that leads you probably to a different type of property than if you're going to be out looking for a buy-to-let gold mine. That's right, yeah, because you say the investors won't pay the, the sort of money that the mm. house is worth because mm. they're going to need to get a margin on it to be able to, to let it back out. Whereas a family that are looking for their perfect house in the perfect location, maybe with a catchment area of a certain school, they're going to pay what that property is worth mm. and, and they're going to love it because it's been made perfect for them. We also, we also tend to buy freehold properties. So leasehold properties, unless you, you know, you've got a short lease and you can get a lease extension and add the value that way, we tend to buy family-sized family houses, whereas buy to investors might buy flats because it might give a better yield, mm. provided that the management charge and ground rent aren't too high. Mm. So there's less competition in, mm. in that sense. Yeah. yeah, It's about thinking about how the setup of the house as well. So quite often the terrace houses have the, the bathroom at the back, as we discussed mm. earlier, that first mm. one that we did. Mm. Um, but people want to be able to see out the back from maybe a kitchen or a lounge or a dining room. So if you can reconfigure a little bit just to get that open space and maybe with patio doors and then, you know, it's just about remodelling the internal space makes a massive difference. And, yeah, obviously understanding your target market. Understanding who's going to want it, yeah. Yeah. So the first one must have gone well because you're sat here now, <laughs> 13 years later. So how did you do on the first one? Yeah, so we uh, yeah bought it for 100, as we said. Mm -hmm. um, and we made, we sold it for 128 and the, the net net profit was 12,000 mm. um, £12, pounds, which we, after the conversation in the pub when we said we'd be happy to break even, which we shouldn't have said, but no. we did. But we were pleased with that because we thought, right, actually, this this does work. We didn't particularly buy it well. We did a lot of the work ourselves, and we've you know we've made a profit. So let's see if we can improve on that for the next one. 
yeah, we were ready to go again then. Well, absolutely, because anybody listening to this might think, well, 12 grand, that doesn't actually sound that no. exciting after all that. But the reality is actually 12 grand is 12 grand. Net profit, yeah. Net profit for, yeah. for doing something which is quite fun. Yeah. At that stage, you're still in your job, so it's just extra money anyway. Yeah. And you've learned to load. So there's an investment there. So it's like free free learning, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And if people, you know, if people look at their net income on their slip of paper at the end of the month after all the tax... Now, whatever that is, that could be a few months worth of, of that. Mm, of that money, 12,000 could be three, four, maybe more months. Yeah, so cash. not to be sniffed at. And when you watch Homes Under the Hammer, they're lucky if they make that, aren't they? They are, and they don't the always time. include. We're, it's really important to, well, I'm an IT background, so I love spreadsheets. It's really important for me that the numbers are right. Mm. And I don't want, I want to be giving out numbers after all costs. You know, that's cost on lending, uh, all the tax. Everyone's tax is different, but, you know, on our tax, that's our net, net money. The important thing for us was that it proved the concept. Mm. It proved to us that we could communicate really well on a project. We could buy something, add value to it, and sell it, and not lose money. Mm. And of course, you don't want to lose money in business. But to make twelve thousand pounds on that first one, it proved that we were doing the right thing. Mm. That it was repeatable, systemizable. Which, from a project manager, that's really important. That mm. it has a, cer- a certain level of certainty around it, and we enjoyed doing it as well. That was the main thing. Mm. Did we see our friends and family all the time while we were working on the project? No, we didn't. And they probably didn't understand at the time. They were like, why Why do you want another house? You've already got one. But they certainly get it now. And it's, it's helped them. The more that we've grown, the more that we've learned, the more that we've been able to help them as well. And a lot of them have actually followed us in the business. They've done similar things or they've built a buy-to-let portfolio, which is really rewarding for us. But yeah, that, that 12000 was the least we've ever made on a flip. Mm. Uh, but yeah, certainly not something to be sniffed at for the first one. No, not at all. And the other benefits are, presumably, you made relationships, as we were talking about earlier, with the estate agents. Mm-hmm. They could see you were serious and just gave you that momentum, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brilliant. So touching on the figures, I know that you have sort of quite strict criteria as to what you want to get out mm-hmm. of a deal. What, what are you looking for when you do a flip? Yeah, so we want to make 20% profit of purchase price. So if we buy it for 100 yeah, and net-net, we want it to be £20,000. If we buy it for 500, so half a million, we want to make 100,000 pounds. So it's 20% of what we pay for it. Obviously, we work backwards from that. So we say we want to make, it's about 500,000, we want to make 100, and we work back with how much we need to spend on it, including all costs. So all um, lending costs. You've also got to think about things like council tax and mm. gas, electric, water in all your costings you're doing. Obviously, the refurb, all the trades, the stamp duty, <laughs> um, the legals to sell and buy, state agents' costs. So, yeah, 20% of purchase price is what we put in our spreadsheets to plug in to say, yeah, this is a deal we'll go for. And when you say net, 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 does that include tax at that it stage? It does, yeah, it does for us, yeah. So it's 20% after tax. Yes. So it's literally 20% in your pockets after everybody, including yes. Philip Hammond's, had his That's the, Yeah, once yeah. he comes round and takes his little bit, yeah. Yeah. And is that doable? It, yes, it is, yeah. I mean, you, you, we look at a lot of deals um, and we plug in the numbers and the, they're the ones that we go for. They're the ones we offer on. Now you may not get them on day one. You need it's, it's a long can be a long game. You wish you offering on multiple projects. Um, but yeah, they come through. And I know that as part of that process, you like to pipeline. We do, yes. What What do you mean really, by that? Really, really important. Yeah, so pipeline. So I it used to really wind Tasha up when we first started doing this because I would drive. I'm, I'm a very visual person. So if we're operating in a certain area, we like to uh, do all of our flips within 40 minutes of home. Any particular reason? Because it means, so yeah, good question. So it means that we can use the same tradespeople and we know the areas really, really well. Mm. So within 40 minutes of home, there are certain areas that I know what the price is, there's just not the margin. Mm. And in some areas that we know really, really well, I know exactly which houses will be coming to market within the next few years. Mm. Because you start to notice the unloved ones or the untidy gardens. Obviously, no house is unloved. Somebody loves it. Mm. It's just whether they have the ability to maintain it or it may be empty, maybe an empty property. So we focus specifically on that area because you can't, you can't know an area that's not near you. You may have lived there in the past, so I come from Hertfordshire, so there's certain areas that I know really well. But that was 30 years ago that I lived there. I, I don't know those values mm. in that area right now. I know where the streets are. Mm. But yeah, by focusing on a small geographical area, it, it's a bit different for deal sourcing if you're not going to actually be involved in the project and get all the trades there. If you're just going to buy it, pass it on to an investor, you could probably do that a bit more remotely, although that's you really should know your area for that as mm. well. But with flipping, when we're using the same builders, plasterers, tilers, decorators, it really helps to keep it all local because it means you can use the same ones and it's easy for them to travel there every day to site. Mm. Whereas if you're constantly looking for new trades, 
it takes a little while to build up rapport with them so they know how you communicate and how they communicate. Mm. It's all about communication, this building, the mm. business, isn't it, really? Mm. Mm. Yeah, so the pipeline, once, something, once we view something, we want to be recording that. Or even if something comes to us that we think maybe that's a bit expensive at the moment, but I'm going to, it's in the right area, it would work well, let's, let's put it on the list. Uh, when we view something, we're putting that on a, a spreadsheet and then we're putting what have we offered on it, if we've offered. When did we offer? What estate agent it was. And quite often, you want to go back and review these. So you want a little tab that says action on the spreadsheet. And you want to say, right, in two months or two weeks, depending on how good it is, I'm going to either phone the estate agent and say, has it sold? I'm going to look on right over to see if it's sold. I'm going to drive by. And then if it does sell, it goes off the list. But if it doesn't sell, sometimes six months later, eight months later, it might still be on. So you could maybe approach the agent and say, hang on a minute, it's been on quite a long time. What's going on? Do they need to sell it? Or sometimes the agent will phone you. If you've made an offer six months ago and they've said, no, don't be silly, someone else may have bought it, but it might have fallen through because they couldn't get lending or whatever reason. Then again, and then the seller needs to sell and they remember you made that offer. Mm. So they may come back to you six months later. And if it's in your pipeline, you can say, oh, yeah, I remember viewing that. I offered that. I'm still happy to pay that. You can be really quick. So the quicker you can start putting together this pipeline, the better. You can get a list of real property, uh, possibilities. It's also mm. good for recording it, isn't it? So you can use Google Calendar to set reminders so that you, you do follow up with these. You can use lots of different apps to track where you're at with properties once you've bought them as well. So we use Trello. That's really good to monitor the progress Mm. on each particular property and what jobs need doing and what order it all becomes about systemization mm. if you want to scale any business you need to have a system behind it not just finger in the air and let's hope for the best mm. as we did when we started obviously 13 mm. years on from that you need a, a system around it we also want confidence that there's going to be more properties coming through so without a pipeline if you're not monitoring your previous offers you're literally looking at one and then looking for another one mm. straight away mm. Whereas if you know that something's come, come up for sale or you've recently sold something, you've got the confidence to say to an agent, I'm proceedable. I've got cash in the bank now to buy a property or I've got something coming to market. Do you want to market it for me? What have you got for sale? Mm. So that, that really does help to build rapport as well. So you also track properties for quite a long time. Mm. Yes, we do. My spreadsheet has got many from many years ago that still haven't sold or potentially the, maybe sometimes the owner's taken it off the market. But at one point they wanted to sell it, but they didn't. So it's worth tracking those. Um, there is one in particular. There's one that you're particularly proud of, isn't there? Well, there's one that came came on online for in 2014 for 715. That was in an area we liked, and it was a, a building that was lovely, but it was way above what we could do anything with. 750. 750,000. Chunky property, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so we don't set an upper limit when we search for this reason. Mm. So it was yeah not something that we'd want to flip because obviously the. To be able to flip that up would be worth a lot and then you limit in your market who's going to buy it. And that was probably about the right price for a nice family home in that area. So at first glance, mm. you probably couldn't see how you could add the value without turning it into a you know, £1.2 million house. Yeah. Um, so that was on my on my spreadsheet 2014. 2015 pops back up, comes back online at 450. Gosh. Yeah. So then I'm, then I'm interested because I'm thinking, but if I hadn't have had that on the spreadsheet from the year before... Probably would have popped in another point. Gone okay, that's four fifty. But now I need to know, you know, what's going on. So we get a viewing on it at that point. We hadn't viewed it previously because it wasn't. It was nowhere near what we wanted to pay for it. Um, we viewed it, um, and we had offer accepted on that at four fifteen um, in twenty fifteen. I think that was wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. Um, we knew it needed a lot of work. You know, this was an old building that had had issues. Things don't come back to market three hundred grand cheaper. No. within a year unless there's something considerably yes. that needs fixing yeah so the 415 offer uh, was subject to to a survey mm. so we had a full structural survey it identified quite a lot of work which we were aware of so we then revised our offer to two hundred and seventy thousand pounds wow which, how did that go down um that was a no <laughs> that was a no but it was still on the spreadsheet um so yeah 20 2016 that was um and it just sat there sat on the market and i act every at least every month I contacted the agent and said, what's happening with it? You know, someone interested, is it going through? Sat there and sat there and sat there. And we eventually bought it in 2017 for 260. Wow. So that weight, you know, obviously we're doing other deals at the same time, but in your, in your pipeline, if you've got deals sitting there, yes. it can come through at different times. Just, just about the knowledge of what's going on in the market around you. And what, what are you going to do with that property? Um, it's going through listed building consent at the moment, so yeah, it's got it's got a lot to do. So it's going to take a couple of years to do it, 
and then it'll be a full refurb. It's quite a big. Mm, it's quite a large old farmhouse, mm. so it'll be a beautiful building once it's done. Mm. It just needs some some major works, mm. so it needs some roof work. And we have a bat. A bat has been seen in the vicinity, so mm. yeah. we've had ecology reports done and everything. That mm. kind of ties into when you can do works to the roof. So it's been a really, really good experience, partly on the negotiating and in terms of patience, waiting three years. Mm. Well, that's one of the key things, isn't it? Because if you're going to do a flip, you've got to be able to sell it at a profit. Mm-hmm. And there's only two ways you're going to do that. You're either going to buy it cheap mm. or you're going to add a load of value. Exactly. Yeah. And the best way is to buy it cheap and add value. Yep. Yeah, but, even better. but what we're often asked is, how do you buy properties cheap? Why would anybody sell it to you cheap? Yeah. You know, why would anybody give you their property? Yeah. And if you're not used to the system, if you haven't done any deals, you might think, well, it's just not going to happen, is it? Because nobody's going to sell me the property cheap enough to make a profit. Mm-hmm. But it happens, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And one of the key things is, as you say, being prepared to wait. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And talking to all the people around you as well, you know, getting, telling people what you do. When people start out in, in property, they're a little bit scared to tell people what they do because mm. it's all new to them and they, they feel that they haven't got the experience. But actually, they have got the experience of maybe their area, so they know their area really well. They'll have the experience of something that will really help in their business. Mm. So, you know, they might have lived in that area for their whole life. They might have 20, 30, 40 years mm. of experience of every street in that area, and that's massive. Mm. It's really, really valuable. So it's about thinking, not thinking, oh, I'm new, nobody will want to work with me and then telling people what you do mm. people may know people that have got a house they need to sell or have cash they want to invest and they're not making any money in the bank just let people know it's, it's a people business mm. it's, and it's a really nice business to be in it's mm. an interesting point you make but often people there's a famous quote isn't there if you think you can or you think you can't you're right mm. you're probably right and it does ring true sometimes you don't really realize what that actually is saying mm. but yeah it's all about motivation and about keeping going and about just starting, really, isn't Believing it? you can do it. Believing you can do it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Even if you have an ounce of belief, you may not have full, total belief. You just need a little bit and to take that first step. If you're not sure what to do, do something. Mm. And then your brain will go, oh, hang on a minute. I've done something and that works. Maybe I can do something a little bit bigger. Mm. Not in terms of buying a bigger property, just maybe I'll make that next step. Mm. So the first thing might be phoning an agent. That might be a really frightening prospect for some people if it's completely new to them. But actually, they are humans. They are people. And they've got something to sell. And you want to buy. So mm. really, they're there to sell things to you mm. if it's at the right price. So it all does tie together really nicely, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. And you can make some really good friendships. Mm. You know, a lot of the in local independent estate agents, you do see them out and about. You, know, you see them at school fates and things like mm. that. And it's, it's nice to build that rapport and make you memorable and them memorable because everyone's just trying to get along in life, aren't they? Mm. Trying to make business mm. and trying to provide for their own family. And property is a really good way of doing that because it's... Yeah, it's, a, it's good interaction. It's not faceless. It's not like hiding behind a computer because there is a big world out there and you just mm. need to meet more people and you, you, you can make money Yeah, if you totally. focus on one strategy, maybe two. Couldn't agree more. Mm. And it really frustrates me actually when I meet would-be investors. They say, I've been trying for six months, but nothing's happened. Yeah. And when you say, what have you done? They say, well, go on, right move every morning. Yeah. You've got to get out. And you can't just sit at there. your kitchen table and right move. You've got to yeah. meet real people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So for anybody who's listening to this thinking, yeah, I like the idea of doing flips, but I'm not quite sure how to start or even how I'm going to pay for them. How, how can you actually finance a deal? I mean, particularly, what about for somebody who's maybe even starting with very little or no money? Can they do flips? Mm. So flips are mainly based on the property. You know, mm. As long as you haven't got any massive adverse credit problems in the past. Mm. And even if you have, I'm sure there are brokers out there who'll be able to find the right kind of finance product for you. Um, it's about finding a property that works in terms of numbers. And then when you present that to a bank and you go for bridging finance or commercial finance or you speak to your, your broker about it, it'll be based on the uplift on the property. So it's slightly different to buy-to-lets where that's based on rental income and yield. Mm. This is a, this is a quite a straightforward decision for a bank and straightforward decision, but it might take a little while to get the paperwork sorted. Uh, but it's based on, is it the right open market value you're paying for it? What works are you going to do and how much it's going to cost? And what are you going to sell it for? And all in all, if the security is there for the bank, they'll, they'll lend on that basis mm. based on a business model. So we're, mm. we're a limited company. We're a trading company. So it's slightly different to, to buy-to-lets, which people might be getting in their personal name or in a, in a limited company. Mm-hmm. So you do, do need to put a deposit down for if you're borrowing from a bank or a bridge. Um, they'll typically lend 75%. But you can, you know, as we talked about before, we can you can JV with people. Or if you've got bad credit, they, they could maybe you could work with them and they could take the lend. 
Mm. Um, and you, you can raise the deposit, raise the, the refurb money. So there is some money needed, but it doesn't have to be your money. If you've got no money, we started with £6,000 each. Mm. We put in, that was our first JV, and everything else has come from that. And we've worked with people that have got cash that want a return on their money. Um, and they love to get the return that they can get outside of the bank. It might pays 0.5 or something at the moment, if you're lucky. So there's there's plenty of ways of, of raising finance. So don't be don't sit there and say, well, I haven't got any money, I can't do it, because that is just a limiting belief. Mm. So talking to people around you, getting out there, getting the skills to be able to do it, and you can find someone with the money. Or if you've got the money, find someone with the skills. Mm. Absolutely. It's something which we probably don't appreciate, particularly when we're first beginning, is the power of the JV. And actually, that reminds me of the very first time I met Karen, of course, is when I came here in 2013. <laughs> and Karen was at the JV day that mm. I was attending. Because JVs are the way forward, aren't they? If you, if you haven't got the money yourself, then there's people out there who have, who probably want to do deals, but they don't know how to do it. So there's a synergy there. Mm. But the word which you've both used, the B word, which some of the listeners might be thinking, did they really just say that? You said bridging. Yeah. Bridging. Is bridging yeah. expensive? Well, for some people, it's not just mm. expensive, but there's all these kind of like horror stories around it. And the, the fear, a fear around bridging, because I, I suppose everybody's heard horror stories about people getting their fingers burnt because they took out bridging loans and it all went horribly wrong. But it doesn't have to be that way, does it? It doesn't, no. With any kind of bridging, yes, sometimes it can be more expensive than other typical types of lending that you might be used to. But it either works on the figures or it doesn't. You know, would you rather make the profit or not take the bridge and not make the profit if the if the numbers stack up? I think with any kind of anything in life, you'll find horror stories if you want to find them. Because mm. so if you type a certain thing into a forum or into Google, you'll find things that will either say, yes, this was great or no, this wasn't great. So there'll be a mixed experience. Our experience with bridging has been really, really positive. Um, so we've done some really good projects with bridging loans mm-hmm. and really good projects with private finance. Mm. Uh, it's nice to work with private finance because you get to meet new people. You need to get you get to do a good thing with them so the people that have come and offered to finance our projects have become good friends. Mm. Uh, that said, we still use bridging now. Mm. Uh, I think it's good to have a good mix of both. Yeah, when you do a flip on a bridge or actually not even on a bridge, on anything, always do your numbers. If it's a, a refurb that's going to take you two or three months and you're going to sell it and it sells at six, do your numbers for a year. Still make your profit if you're holding that for the full year. Then when you're selling at six, you're making more, aren't you? Because you're, mm. you're not paying the bridge for six months. You're not paying the gas, mm. electric and council tax. Make sure you're not putting yourself under any pressure you don't need to put yourself under. Get those figures right and then you can sail through it and then get on to your next deal rather than panic. Oh, my God, six months is up and you know my numbers are going down. Mm. We always stress it to a, a year. There are products now as well that you can get where you get a bridge for two years. Now, obviously, you don't want to be paying that bridge for two years, mm. but they're ones that don't have any early repayment charges. Mm. Yeah. There's no early repayment fees. So as soon as you've sold the project, great, that's the end of that, that loan. Obviously, if you're doing your figures based on two years, nobody wants to be paying a bridge for two years, and they're not designed for that purpose. Mm. But for a short-term flip, yeah, we, we tend to base it on a, a year's worth of figures, and then mm. the sooner you sell it, the more profit you make. Yeah. But the profit isn't based on just holding it for six months because that would be short-sighted in case something did, did change. Mm. Or if your buyer delayed by a couple of weeks due to, I don't know, anything. It can be anything that could make a sale take a couple of weeks more. Mm. You don't want to go over into another month of bridging if you haven't anticipated it. But if you plan for the long haul and sell it in the shorter time period, everyone's a winner. Mm. And the other great thing about bridging, of course, is that they tend to look more at the property than you. It's a relatively easy loan to get, isn't it? Mm. it is, if the, yeah. But if the figures stack which yeah. they will, or else you wouldn't be buying it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And it's very quick. You can get a bridge quick, which gets your relationships with the agents and whoever you're buying from much better because they know that you can act quickly and, and get it done. That's what they want. We did mm. a bridge recently. It was in seven days from mm. offer agreed yeah, yeah, until mm. completion. And mm. That included a weekend as well, so not many working days to get it through. Mm. Brilliant. Now, on a completely different subject, maybe I'll, you didn't know I was going to say <laughs> this, but have I heard rumours that you're writing a book at the moment? Ah, yes. It's called Flip It. Okay. Um, <laughs> when, when's it due out? It is, you know, it's in the last stages of editing now. So it is on the edge. It's not available to purchase yet. No, it's not, not yet. Not. But being, obviously, yeah. it depends on when you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, it may be. It might so, be. Yeah. Oh, good so point. Yeah. If, depending on when you're listening, go and check it yeah. on Amazon. Yes, Flip It is called. Flip It. Yeah, that's the title chosen by the community. Brilliant. Because they wanted yeah. a short, snappy yeah. title that kind of said what it's about. Yeah, what it says on the tin. Yeah, flipping's thing. a well-known yeah. term now, so flip it. 
it's, it's, there's got quite a few stories in there um, about our experiences and right from that first property that we talked about earlier, um, some of the things that we did there, mm. some stories in there and yeah, and there's a lot of information of how to do it. It runs through the, the right order way. of works because people often say, well, which, what order do you do things in a project? And obviously the first thing is order the skips and get your floor plans done. Mm. And then the last thing is have a glass of wine and celebrate once it's sold. But yes. it, it details. It the, tells you everything in between. It does, yeah. 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 Brilliant. Well, I look forward to that. Maybe a signed copy. We'll yeah. track you down well, and get I'm you to sure sign it when it comes it. out. Yeah. Brilliant. But you, not just the book, but you also have a course as well for anybody who wants to get really serious about flipping and wants to take this further. You have a course, mm-hmm. a workshop? We do. So we run with, in conjunction with Progressive, we've been running a course now for, gosh, is it three years? At least. Yeah, so we run three dates every year mm. uh, for a small classroom of just 30 people. Mm. So it's quite a focused group in terms of our time that we spend with each person. But yeah, two-day course, Buy to Sell Boot Camp, which details everything from start to finish of finding the property right through the schedule of works, how to trade correctly, how to sort out the finance, although we can't give you financial advice, but we can say what we've done. And obviously you can give an opinion, and, can't you? I can give an opinion, yeah. Yes. Yeah, we break down all the, the costings as well. One of the, a lady today came up to me and said, you know, how much does it, it cost when I'm looking around? How much does it cost to do this? That. And, as, you know, we break it all down to what we pay um, for materials, what we pay for a plaster, what we pay for a kitchen, that sort of thing, just to give people an idea. So when they're viewing properties, they know what, what it costs to do it up. Um, so that's all broken down. Yeah, we just go into from negotiating right through to the to the end, everything in between. Mm. And I know that there was somebody who came on your boot camp a while back who had actually already got the property ready to sell. Mm. And even at that stage, you were able to help them, weren't you? Mm. Well, we're, we're, I'm very visual, and Tashel's very detailed in terms of process and systems. And sometimes when you look at a property that's just going to market, you can you can see changes that that can be made. Yeah, and this chap came on the course, and he made twenty seven thousand extra profit over and above what he was already going to put it on the market for. It's worth going on the course for, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it was good. He was happy with his return on investment. Yes, he was. Yeah. Yeah, excellent. So if I wanted to do that course, how would I find out about it? Um, Ring the Progressive Office? Perfect, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah they know okay. they know all the details yeah. there. And they'll, get, they'll have the dates as well. So yeah. um, we've got a couple more coming up in 2018. And then, yeah, they'll know all the details. Yeah, brilliant. Well, it's been great having you on the podcast. Loads of really, really good information there and very inspirational. And anybody who's listening to this who's thinking, I want to make money in property, don't forget flipping because it's just such a great way of making chunky money, yeah. as you call it. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, thank you very much. So, so thank you. Thank, thank you. Yeah. So I've been Peter Jones. This has been the Progressive Property Podcast. If you want to know more about me, you can come to my website, www.thepropertyteacher.co.uk. Otherwise, until the next podcast, here's to successful property investing. Bye.